Hello, welcome to Teach the Word. Uh, today uh, is kind of sad. I'm going to be talking about the topic of death, what the Bible has to say about death. Um, and and it's because I'm pretty sad and heavy-hearted because um, a very close person to me uh, died uh, in my presence actually on, on Monday morning. This is Wednesday morning, so about 48 hours ago. And uh, it's really heavy, hard, and and hopefully this what the what the New Testament or the scriptures, old and new, are saying about what death and what happens in death can be an encouragement to people who are in a situation like I am, where they're you're grieving and you're in um, you're just in sorrow uh, for uh, the loss. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for um, your love. We thank you that you carry us through. That when we encounter pain and hardship and hurt and suffering um, in this life, that you're there with us and that you love us. And you bring us through to the other side. That's your, your promise to us. That when we're in the cloud and the blackness and the pain and the swirl. You're there with us and you will bring us through. And so Lord God, we trust you. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe before I uh, get into the topic of, of uh, you know what the Bible says about death and what happens when people die. I'll just go to Isaiah 43 and read it because it's something I've been encouraging myself with as I've been basically, you know, de you know, depressed is, is really, I think, grief is being maybe the technical word, but it's similar to the feelings of depression. Um, I'll read what God is saying, and he's speaking here to the nation of Israel, but uh, I think that by application, he's speaking to all of his his people, his children, uh, by extension. So I am, I am appropriating it, applying it to myself. Um, but now, Isaiah 43, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy, thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, the west, and gather the from the east and gather them from the west the really encouraging part is two one and two i have redeemed you i have called you by name when you pass through the waters i'll be with you when through the rivers they will not overflow you when you walk through the fire you will not be burned neither will the flame be upon you this idea that god is with me with you with those who suffer who are in who are going through a flood of death is like a flood or a fire it's a tragedy he's with us in it 
and he's going to carry us through. Um, that's our God. That's who our God is. And that's encouraging. It's certainly encouraging to me, hopefully to you. I think the other encouraging thing is that um, there's hope for 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 a believer in uh, in death. Death is sad, but there's hope. Um, let's go to First uh, Thessalonians four, where Paul kind of talks about this idea. Start in verse. 13 and then onwards. It's Paul speaking to the Thessalonian believers. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. This is a euphemism used throughout the New Testament for death, sleeping or falling asleep. It's a euphemism used for death. You see that real explicitly in the narrative of Lazarus in, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, Lazarus is sleeping, meaning, and he's, he's communicating that he's dead, and they think he's resting, and then the, the, the narrator, who's John, actually explicitly says what Jesus meant by the euphemism, and they missed it. Um, but it's it's used multiple places by different authors. So it's, it's understood to be what what would have been understood by all, all the whole uh, speech community to mean death. So, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which are also, which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And if I if I go back to verse four, 13, which I didn't read, I, started, I was going to say I was going to read 13 and following, but I started in 14. So I missed the part that I was trying to get at. We'll read, read it again, the beginning verse. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And then he, he, talk, he goes into this 14, 15, 16, is about the Christian doctrine of the resurrection, right? And then 17, therefore comfort one another with these words. So there's something about the... When the Bible talks about death, the overshadowing, the big thing is the doctrine of the resurrection, and it's it's a doctrine of hope for the believer. It's something that it's something that with which, where verse eighteen, wherefore comfort one another with these words. It's something with which I and other believers can comfort one another about our friend who who passed is is Dave, right? So about Dave, we can talk to one another about the the resurrection and, and bring comfort to one another. And we don't have to sorrow. Look at verse 13. For if we believe that Jesus died, or no, that's 14, 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So what he's saying is, 
you it's not a it's not a lot they're not gone forever there's a coming time when there's going to be a resurrection what does he say in 14 for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so them which sleep in Jesus God will bring with him this is the doctrine of the resurrection um I think we'll try to go through it uh maybe not exhaustively extensively but just unpack it somewhat it's a major doctrine of Christianity in fact the entire uh, religion of Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is like a forerunner of the coming resurrection of, of all people believers and unbelievers um, and the resurrection for believers is a, is a resurrection of hope and, and a good thing and then the resurrection for non-believers is, is a is a resurrection of horror uh, a terrible thing so it's it's a double-sided doctrine but um it's considered by the writer of hebrews to be one of the elementary doctrines of the faith if we look at hebrews 6 where he gives a list of doctrines that are designed for babies who, who can't take solid food he, he says he lists it there hebrews 6 1 therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of christ let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So, <clears throat> it's it's a foundational part of the faith. It's listed. I just, I just read Hebrews 6 to show it's listed as one of these elementary doctrines, along with repentance, uh, Baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection, eternal judgment, faith in God. Those are the those are the ones that he listed there as basic doctrines. So let's go back to some of the origins. It, its origin is not it's not a New Testament thing. It's a Jewish thing, and its its origins are very old, really. Um, if you look at the Book of Job, who is a man going through all kinds of suffering, including death. All of his children died. Um, and he is, is diseased and sick. And he, he thinks he, he, uh, he doesn't know if he's going to perish as well. And in, in Job, Job's a series of poems. It's dialogue. Uh, Job is speaking. Some of his friends are speaking. Job is speaking his friends. And it's a bookend by, by uh, narrative, not poetry. What's the opposite of poetry? Pro. Uh, prose. I, I'm 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 slipping. You know, I, I was used to be an English teacher, but the brain is slipping. So, in one of these poems where Job is speaking in chapter 19, Job is speaking and he's talking about he's communicating what he believes and what the people likely around him believed about the end, about death life after death and he's, he's communicating in a nutshell one of our probably one of our earliest uh explicit statements of this doctrine of the resurrection in, in judaism at least and that's job uh, 1926 and he says well let's just back up um 25 for i know that my redeemer lives and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth so he's talking about Maybe the end of the age. I'm not sure what he means by the latter day. At the end of the world. Um, 
That's what I kind of understand. For I know that my Redeemer lives. This is Job 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So he's, he's declaring his confidence in this idea of a resurrection that he's going to die and rot in the ground. The worms are going to destroy his body. Yet, at the latter day, maybe the end of the, the world, the judgment, he's going to stand in his flesh. Yet, in though worms consume... Let me read 26 again. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet... In my flesh shall I see God. So after his his skin, his current body is destroyed by worms, rotted in the, in the ground, yet in his flesh he's going to see God. That's the idea of the resurrection. It's it's very, uh, it's not, it's not that he's living on in a non-embodied state uh, after death. It's that he will have, uh, he will have a body, physical talking about a, a, a body body which has flesh not a spiritual immaterial thing that's that's what we meant by resurrection so it, it's a technical term that uh, people will at one at some point Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection Christian Christianity he's the first to be raised and he has a body at some point all who have died will, will be raised. With a body. Um, currently, they don't have a body, but they do live in some sense in, in a as an immaterial being. So, uh, but let's maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's uh, let's look at um, well, let's look at the main New Testament uh, passage on uh, resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and others. Where, where it goes on for a long time. This is the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He's really laying it out there. Um, so I just said Christ is the first fruits. Well, that's I'm quoting Paul from 1 Corinthians 15. Let's, let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not <clears throat> meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. 
Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And in this life only, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Uh, so I'll just pause to kind of comment on some of this. So there's a there's a her heresy that Paul's condemning that's going around in the at least in the Corinthian church that there is no resurrection of the dead. In other words, you die, you you don't come back to life in a body bodily form. And Paul's saying that's not true. And if it were true, if you were to grant that exception, then Christ didn't rise because Christ is in Christianity he's the first fruits of the resurrection and then there's other, there's a later resurrection, two actually. We can get into that later in Revelation. There's two resurrections separated by a period of a thousand years. One before the millennial reign of Christ and one after. But um, Christ is the first. And uh, he's saying that if, if, if there is no resurrection, then Christianity completely falls apart. It's like the bedrock doctrine of Christianity. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, What's the power of the cross? The power of the cross is in the resurrection. Um, and I'll continue on. So I'm at 20 now, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep, or the, of them that slept, the past tense. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, whom he shall have put, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith, all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And all, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not knowledge have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some men will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die, and that which thou sowest thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it pleases as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of beast, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and Bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. 
There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it that was that how be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly, the second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, he's talking about those who, who, are not, who don't die before Christ returns. So they're not, they don't die, fall into the ground, and, and their bodies rot, and then they're raised with a new body. Those who, who don't die have a body, and they're changed, is what he's talking about here. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, sorry, that's the 58 verses I just read. from. I read 1 Corinthians 15. But it's the principal oops, passage on the resurrection. It's, it's that the, your, your body is raised. It's not the same body. It's somehow different, but it is a body. It, it has a, uh, uh, but it's immortal. It's incorruptible. It can't die. And those who, who don't die and are alive when Christ comes, their body just changes to be immortal, uh, incorruptible. So, uh, I'm going to pause this and uh, go eat breakfast. And I'm going to come back and finish the video. So, just pausing. Okay, so I uh, just had some breakfast. Um, so, I'm back to continue. So, we're talking about this video is about death. Uh, um, we, we're talking right now about the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection. We talked about its origins, um, old, older texts like Job, um, it's Old Testament origins, it's Jewish origins, uh, and uh, talk about how it's a doctrine of hope. Uh, we just read through the principal passage, which is 1 Corinthians 15, how Christ is the first fruits, how um, our bodies are going to be, it's going to be bodily, but it's not going to be the same kind of body, it's going to somehow be different, um, it's going to be changed, it's not going to be corruptible, it's not necessarily going to be flesh and blood. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, but it's going to be a body of some sort. Paul talked about lots of different bodies. He even talked about spiritual body, natural body. That got a little confusing because we don't think of flesh as spiritual, but Job talked about flesh, seeing the Lord in his flesh. So, <clears throat> um, 
let's just look maybe one more passage uh, on general passage on the resurrection like uh, we'll just go second Corinthians 5 where Paul's talking about the bodies and the tents talks about our bodies and then we'll move on to uh, some other things about the resurrection and move on to the next segment of the video which is be uh, what's happening before the resurrection okay so second uh, Corinthians 5 read one through eight for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this we groan <coughs> earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened not for that we would be unclothed but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life now he that hath wrought us of the selfsame thing is God who hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight we are confident I say and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. So I'll stop. I, I read longer than I said I was going to read. I read through 11. But you see, he's talking about the two, the two bodies. We have a body right now. He calls it a tent, right? An earthly house. But we have a, a heavenly house he's talking about. Um, and he's talking about when we're in the earthly body, we're not with the Lord. But at the resurrection, when we're in the heavenly body, we will be in the presence of the Lord. Um, and that will be better. So you get, the, you get the idea. The doctrine's fairly well established, talked about a lot. It's the key thing that Paul is preaching is the resurrection of Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Jesus. Um, now let's just look at how it how we talked about hope. It's a doctrine of hope for believers, but there's also an aspect of it that is as a doctrine of horror for those who reject God, because they they also don't die. They're also erased with that's this same body, this resurrected body that's incorruptible, can't can't be annihilated, can't die. But they're separated from God because they've rejected God. So you see, it's a wonderful thing to be with God and incorruptible. But it's a whole whole other thing altogether to be separated from God and not able to cease to exist, to not be able to die. So there's a hope and a horror aspect. Um, and this is also very early. It's, it's, a Jew, it's a Jewish origin. So if you go back to... Daniel, the prophet Daniel, you'll see this, Daniel uh, 12, chapter uh, 12, verse 2, he's talking about the resurrection. <clears throat> well, maybe we can read from 1. It's at the last day. And at that time, 12, Daniel 12, chapter 12, verse 1, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, 
And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book of life. Well, not, not life, it just says written in the book. I added life accidentally. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So this sleeping bit is, is a Hebrew idiom. So even, even going back to Daniel. I don't even know. This might be written in Aramaic, to be honest with you. I, I don't know if this is Hebrew or Aramaic. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. I think it's Hebrew, though. Because I think Aramaic is the center of Daniel. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there you have the two resurrections. Awaking to life, and awaking to shame and everlasting contempt. But either way, you're stuck. Incorruptible. Um, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, that they may turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. So that's Daniel. And then you see also that this was the belief of Judaism, because at least of the Pharisees, the Pharisaic sect of Judaism, which Paul belonged to. The, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee, and he... He, when he's on trial, he brings up the doctrine of the resurrection and of the just and the unjust. He talks about it, the, the dual resurrection, where there's there's an idea of hope for those who, who know, who serve God, and of horror for those who don't. And he, this is Acts uh, 24, 15. Uh, so we'll back up. He, he's making his confession. But this I confess, Acts 24, 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way, which they call heresy, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and having hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. So Paul, in living his life on earth, has in mind and view the resurrection. And he's saying, so do you, Pharisees, who are accusing me, because he's on trial, a Roman court, and the Pharisees are, are the accusers. They're, they're accusing him. And he's saying, we confess the same thing about the resurrection. Um, <clears throat> Jesus also talks about this um, in his parable with the sheep and, and goats in uh, Matthew 25. So that's a long parable, but you know, he talks about uh, where are we, those who, who know him and those who don't at the end. So we I don't think we should read the whole parable, but maybe I could summarize it. Um, so basically, I'm not sure where it starts here, but um, starts in 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. So he's gathering, he's, he's, this is the, kind of the end of the age, he's gathering together all peoples, and he's dividing sheep from goats. The, the idea is those who, who know and love him from those who don't. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. Then shall the king say to them on his right, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then, um, 
Then he shall say, or to those, then I'll jump down to 41. Then he shall say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he goes on to give reasons why. And in both, in both cases, they kind of protest, saying, How did we do the things that you're talking about? And, and basically, the, the conclusion of the parable is, um, Verily, verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it into one of the least of these, you did it unto me. So in serving the least of these in the earth, you serve me. When they say, when, how did we give you a cup of cold water? When did we When did we not give you a cup of cold water? Or when did we not feed you when you were hungry? As much as you did unto the least of these, you did unto me. And then verse 46 summarizes it, the parable. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. So it's this idea of, those who love and serve God, everlasting life. Those who uh, hate, who are not serving God, everlasting punishment. What's the phrase? Everlasting punishment or life eternal. Um, a resurrection of just and unjust. Both rise. So it's not just those who know God. And so one sense it's a doctrine of hope. Another sense it's a doctrine of horror. Um, what else? Uh, I've talked about two resurrections. So if you look at Revelation 20, you get this, where remember how Christ is the first fruits, then there's those who are dead and Christ rise, and then those who are alive when Christ comes are changed. Well, you have in Revelation 20, you have uh, Christ coming. He's coming to reign as king on earth in Revelation 20. If you look at the beginning of Revelation 20, uh, and I saw, verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were fulfilled. After that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded, for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not, again, until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So it, it's unclear exactly what's going on, like who's participating in the first resurrection. It certainly is believers. Um, it's unclear if it's all believers or it's only the believers who died during the tribulation. I kind of tend to think that that was trying to communicate all the believers who the believers who died as martyrs during the tribulation period, which was seven years prior to this event, Christ Christ coming here to reign. And then these people, there's a purpose for it. These people who are raised in the first resurrection are participating in, in the government of the earth, of the world, that Christ is, is administering the, for a thousand years. It's the millennial reign of Christ reigning from the throne of, of David in Jerusalem, reigning over the earth. Um, although some some have taken this phrase, I'll read it again. Uh, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither his had received his mark upon their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Some take that phrase to mean all, all believers, you know, throughout time that had been martyred. Or just all believers, period. Uh, either way, the, the bottom line is, 
there's a first resurrection. Some people are raised and they participate in govern the government, the millennial government. Then, then if you look in the middle of this chapter, after the thousand years, Satan's loosed from that pit he was bound in, and he goes out to deceive the nations. And there's a there's a big um, you know battle. Uh, it's, you know, like the I'll, I'll read it. Uh, so verse eight. And he, that's Satan, go, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. <clears throat> and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and his false prophets are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then we come to the second resurrection. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whom, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There you have the horror aspect of the resurrection. Resurrected. And if you're not uh, a believer, you're not serving God, you're not in his kingdom, in his book, you're thrown into the lake of fire in a resurrected body, that incorruptible body. But if you are serving him, you get ushered into chapter 21, 22, the, uh, the new heaven and the new earth. And that's your home. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There, and then it's a place of joy and happiness. So you get the idea. It's pretty, it's a pretty familiar culturally, I think, topic. Heaven and hell, right? It's built from many different, those doctrines of heaven and hell are built from many different passages of, of the Bible. And, and, it, and it's all mixed in with it is the doctrine of the resurrection, which is a doctrine of hope. For believers, it's intended to be a doctrine of hope for everyone. It's supposed to be, in light of the the fact, the reality of a resurrection that's that's coming. Live differently now, seek God, turn to Him, because He and only He can save you from yourself. You can't live good enough to to to, to be resurrected. Is the point? You you need Him. You need His forgiveness, His help. That's that's the message of Christianity. That Christ died. And he was raised to life so that I, Dan, can die to my evil wickedness, my, my corruption, my sin. I can, I can die with Christ and I can be raised to life with Christ and I can live in newness of life. I can live different. I can live no longer selfishly pursuing uh, darkness and you know addiction and whatever sin in snares and entangles. I can live not because of me, but because I'm in Christ. If we think back to the in Christ videos that I just did last, there's a reality of being saved in Christ that enables me to participate in the resurrection of hope rather than the resurrection of horror. So it has nothing to do with me. Um, it has to do with Christ. Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's it. I mean, some might be curious, what, what is the nature of a resurrected body? We, we don't really know. We know that, that there's descriptions in the Bible of only one 
one and only one resurrected body, and that's, that's Jesus' body. He was on earth for 40 days before he, bodily, before he ascended to the right hand of God to sit on a throne, right? That's how the Bible talks about it. And, and in his time on earth, he, in his resurrected body, he seemed to be able to do many of the normal things. Like he, he came to, he appeared to his disciples and he said, give me some food to eat. And, and they gave him food and somehow that communicated to them that he was not a, not a ghost. He actually had a body. He ate the food. So there was really a body that took in food. Um, it's interesting that Paul in Corinthians says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And when Jesus says, look at me, I'm, 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 I'm not a ghost. He doesn't say I'm flesh and blood. He says, I'm flesh and bone. Some people have made, this is in the Gospels, at the end of the Gospels. John, I believe. Some people make a big deal about that. Maybe resurrected bodies don't have blood, flesh and bone, but we don't know that. All, all we know is that, you know, he did things that are normal. He ate, he could be touched, he could touch and, and hold, he could interact with the disciples. He had a body that, that did that. And he, um, he also did weird things, like he seemed to pass through locked doors. They were in the upper room locked, and he, he came in, but he came in in the body. But the walls or the locks didn't seem to have an effect. So we don't know much about resurrected bodies, of what nature those bodies will be. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, bodies are bodies. Um, there's lots of different kinds, you know. Don't get hung up on the fact, how is the body going to come back together and all that. But anyways, we're not, I'm not going to read. If, you, if you're curious about what Jesus' resurrected body was like, read the end of the Gospels after Jesus raised from the dead or the beginning of Acts. That's, that's our only info. You can see what he was doing. He was cooking fish. You know, he, he lit a fire on the shore. He cooked fish. He ate it with him. He ate honeycomb and fish in the upper room. He passed through the locked doors, you know. So he, he touched them. They touched each other. And they said, he said, touch, look at my body. Look at the nail marks. Anyways, that's another thing. They could recognize him, but they also didn't recognize him. So there's the, there's the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 who walked with him for a few miles and didn't know it was him. So that's interesting. But then other disciples could look and see that it was him. So it's like he looked like himself, like he had looked in his, in his first body. But he also maybe didn't look. He had the nail marks where his first body was pierced, but he was in his resurrected body. So there's great similarity to his original body, right? He had to have the nail marks, but he's not. He's in an incorruptible body. So he's in the resurrected body. So there's a lot to ponder there. We, that's our example. Jesus is the first fruits. So of the nature of a resurrected body, it seems to be a lot like our body. It may even have the same marks and blemishes that our bodies have now. Jesus' body did when he was resurrected. Um, but we're not, I'm not looking at all the passages. That, I mean, there's just so many. There's several chapters at the end of, if you, if you look at the end of all the Gospels and the beginning of Acts, Jesus' brief time on earth in his resurrected body, you know, there's lots of things that he did, and you can you can learn about his resurrected body. But, I mean, I think I covered the key points. Act did all the normal human things, eating, touching people, hugging, uh, talking, looked like himself, had the same nail marks, passed through uh, locked doors, which is a little weird. But, anyways, <clears throat> we're done with the resurrection. So let's move on to this idea of, well, what happens prior to the resurrection? That's a, that's a very fascinating question. So, you know, my my loved one, Dave, you know, he died on Monday. And immediately, you know, I was at a church, thank God, with uh, lots of people who uh, 
who could encourage me and and my wife was with me and I was with Dave and, and I was right there you know probably within a, a two or three minutes after he had the heart attack and I, and I was doing you know did the, C, the CPR and, and the breaths and then the EMTs came but it was you know it's, it's you know death is not fun right it's a horrid, horrible thing but and it's so sad even now it's sad i mean it's only, it's only 20 48 hours later right but i see all these things that remind me of him and you know there's there's grief right but but what can i what can i think about well immediately people started encouraging me, well you know dave's up up in heaven right now dave's not you know dave's in 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 a in a, in a world of bliss dave's dave is um Dave had a real bad speech problems. He didn't have any teeth. It was really hard for him to communicate. And they're saying Dave was able is able to speak clearly. Um, he's with his mom and dad, his sister. Um, uh, you know all these things. Dave, Dave was uh, handicapped. You know he was, he's mentally uh, developmentally. You know not much past uh, that of a small child, right? But he was he's an old man. But, uh, you know, he's, 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 you know, they're saying all these things, these positive things about Dave, right? But, um, here's the thing, uh, what, what does the Bible actually say about the time between death and the resurrection? We know in the resurrection you raise in the body, but what happens prior to that? Are you in some kind of, uh, comatose, unconscious state? Uh, some people think that, um, and, and I've heard people talk about that, but, uh, there's a number of reasons why not to think that. Well, for one, one of them is the Apostle Paul didn't seem to think that. If you look at Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul seemed to think that when he died, he's going to be with God. In some, maybe not, obviously not in his, not in bodily state, but in a spiritual state, because the resurrection isn't, isn't until the end of the age. But let's look at Philippians um, Philippians 1, chapter 23, Paul's, he's an old man, he's contemplating death. What's he say? He says, um, uh, <clears throat> According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall I choose, I don't know. For I am in a strait betwixt two, between, betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide. So you get the idea from 23 that he has this has a desire to depart and to be with Christ, that he's not thinking that when he dies, he's going to go into some comatose state until... Uh, the resurrection at the end of the age. He thinks when he dies, he's going to be with Christ, albeit not in his resurrected body, in his spiritual body. Another another reason why you would think this is because of how Jesus talked about death while he was on the cross. He said uh, to uh, the thief who was on the cross beside him, we're in what? Let's go to Luke, Luke twenty three. He said. They were having a conversation as Jesus is dying. 
so the thieves, let's just look, and 39. And one of the malefactors which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing wrong. And he saith unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So, you know, Jesus died and he, he didn't raise bodily for three days, right? It's on the third day that he raises. But he thinks when he dies, he's going to be in paradise. Not in his body, obviously, because he's not raised. But he's going to, he thinks he's going to be in with God in spiritual form. And he also thinks that this, this thief is going to be with him. Because he says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, those who think who advocate for that kind of comatose state thing say that to today actually belongs to the verily, verily part. Verily, verily, I say to thee today, like I'm telling you the truth right now, you shall be with me in paradise at some future date after the resurrection. Uh, <clears throat> that's uh, kind of a bad way of understanding the verse because verily, verily, I say unto you is a phrase Jesus uses all the time to introduce statements he's making. You know, if you counted the number of times that comes up in the Gospels, it's probably, you know, like 75 times or something. There's a lot of them, and it's 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 a it's an introduction to what he's saying. Verily, verily, I say unto you, and then he says something. So it's pretty clear that what he's saying is, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, so so that's, that's encouraging for me, because I can think Dave's in a better place right now. You know, he's not in bodily form, right? He won't have his resurrected body till the resurrection, which we know is at the end of the age, but he's with God. He's in paradise. And that's that's a hopeful thought, a comforting thought. You know, there's no there's no pain. There's no suffering. Um, it's a really comforting thought. Um, so, and then, here's the last part that I've been thinking about. What is, what do, what does Dave know about me? You know, I'm here on earth. What kind of window into earth does Dave have? And, um, or, or what can I say scripture? What does the scripture say about that? You know, you know, there is, there is one passage in Hebrews that does talk about cloud of witnesses. I'm sure you've probably heard it. I'll read it to you. Hebrews 11 goes through all kinds of people who have lived Faithful lives, believers, uh, heroes of the faith, so to speak. It lists people, 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 the whole chapter 11. And then we go over to 12, which is the very next chapter. And it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the people he's talking about in chapter 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, of the throne of God. I I interpret this passage to mean, and others as well, that those who have passed before us into glory are, are witnesses of the struggle of faith on the earth today. That somehow God his sovereignty enables them to witness what's going on. They can see uh, us running the race of faith. 
Now, uh, that is not the only way that could be understood. So that, that could be understood that these are such a great cloud of witnesses for Christ. All these people, these men of faith who were witnesses for Christ, right? We're surrounded by them in a sense. They're not witnessing what we're doing, observing. They're witnesses for Christ. And we're surrounded by them in a sense that they've gone before us and, and we're running our, our race here. I prefer the understanding that even, even the phraseology we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses seems to me to indicate some kind of observation. So I prefer the understanding. I think, I think the understanding that somehow there's observation is preferable that those in, in, in the heavenlies, those who have passed before us like Dave can observe things that are happening here somehow in some way that God enables. They're not here. They're in heaven. How can they observe? We don't know, but we know that God can do anything, right? Um, so observation is one thing, but then there's the, there's the question of communication, you know, communication with the dead. And I think that it needs to be pointed out that the Bible is very clear that we don't communicate with the dead. Uh, that it, That's forbidden explicitly uh, over and over again in the Bible. And uh, communication with the dead actually is... Um, is understood to be a, a, an act of trickery by deceiving spirits, where you're not actually communicating with the dead; you're communicating with demons, uh, being deceived by spirits. So let's just let's just read some some of the so we understand that that the communication with the dead is condemned explicitly by the Bible. I don't need to take my word for it; we can read it. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. Uh, <clears throat> 10 through 12. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter, or a of familiar spirits, or a wizard, or one who calls up the dead. What are they supposed to do with all them people? They're supposed to stone them, right? For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, because these are abominations the Lord your God driveth out them that are before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. This, this is, uh, these things are understood to be a way of not worshiping God, but worshiping demons. That's why they're understood as, as, as chicanery, not really, not really communicating with dead loved ones. You are communicating with demons and, uh, and therefore not serving God, but worshiping evil spirits. Uh, Isaiah talks about the same thing. Isaiah 8. Uh, just go there and then, then we can close this video out. Isaiah 8, verse 19. <clears throat> and when they shall say unto thee, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek their God? Or should... Should the living consult the dead? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, that, that's kind of the end of, of my thoughts. Really just wanted to hit on those three points. The doctrine of the resurrection. What's going on prior to the resurrection? And what kind of interaction is there between the dead and those on earth? And, and, and I want to be clear that scripture condemns interaction. But it does seem to indicate 
they 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 have a window into what's going on. So there's some 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 way there's some kind of comfort solace in that that God gives a window to the cloud of witnesses. Others would disagree with me on that window idea, uh, but um, that's kind of it. Just wanted to do that. Really, the principal thing is the, the big thing with death in the Bible is the resurrection. Resurrection, an idea of hope, and an idea that, or, or horror. And, and turn to Christ now, because there's hope, and the resurrection is the idea. Now, I, I realize this video is on death. It doesn't deal with any of the things that we deal with when we're grieving death, like, you know, you know, how do I treat him? You know. Especially when you're someone who dies who's really close to you, people who are really close to you, they see all sides of you. They see you when you're not nice. They see you when you're mad, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're annoyed. And so you have regret. You have all this thought. I do. I know, I know my wife does. Of, you know, I wasn't nice to him or or I didn't I didn't do this or I didn't, I didn't like, you know, I didn't look him in the eye or I didn't hug him or all these things of at the end, you know, or... Or even, what could I have done different? You know, had what if I hadn't left the room five minutes before, you know, and then come back five minutes later and he, he was on the floor? You know, what if I was there with him? Could, could I have done something different? Or what if what if I had, hadn't had made this choice? Like, uh, I, 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 Dave, I believe Dave had a heart attack. And uh, he was, he, probably because he was all worked up and, and I, I had chosen not to stop and, and allow him to go to the bathroom because because I knew we were going to get to the bathroom real real soon. I didn't want him to pee on the side of the road, but he was really really frustrated about that, and he had the heart attack in the bathroom. What what if I had stopped and let him go pee? You know. So there's this whole swirl of thinking. You know what what part did I play? How was I not nice enough? And you know I didn't address any of that, but. Anyone who's, who has a loved one who dies, I, I know that's this, that swirls there because that swirls here in my head. It's in my wife's head. Did I not maximize the time with him? You know, all these things. Uh, you know, there's, there's no end to those. You know, so that, what happens, happens. We, we don't have ultimately God has control. So whether or not I chose to, to do this or that, I don't know how it would affect outcomes. I know that I was nice to Dave, and I know that Dave that I enjoyed being with Dave, and he enjoyed being with me, and, and that we loved each other. And I know I was also sometimes rude and not nice. But there's good and there's bad. It's all a bag. And and I know Dave's in heaven, and he's in a better place, and he can look down. And I and I, I think about it as that Dave thinks about his time on earth with me, and he and he smiles, and he he he, he loves me, and he's happy about it. And, and that's really the only way to do it, to focus on, I believe, you focus on the good. There's good with the bad. You could think of, oh, I did this. I said this. It wasn't nice. But think about all the good. Don't think about the bad. And don't think about things you don't have control over. Like, you don't have no idea if, if doing this or that different would change a heart, when a heart attack would happen, you know. So it's just, <clears throat> it's just the way it is. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, Heart issues with death. You know, this video doesn't really address them. This kind of just tries to address thinking about where the person is, what they're doing, and how how they can see you maybe, how they're in a wonderful place, how you will one day see them again. So there's joy. Like, I'm going to see Dave again, and I'm going to talk to him. We're going to be able to talk about 
maybe any regret I have or I feel, someday we'll be able to talk about it. And I think he'll say, don't worry about it, Dan. Uh, so, anyways, that's it. You know, death is not easy. But uh, any of you who are struggling, who, who had a loved one who died, I, I can I can feel, I can empathize. Oh, with the tears, the grief, the ache. I, I've been describing it to people as this low, dull roar of an ache inside your heart. Um, you know, sometimes you're doing something and you're distracted or you're with people and you're distracted, but then you turn, you know, it's just there. It's always returning. But as time goes on, you know, healing, it'll, it'll, it'll pass. But let's pray. Lord, for all those who, who are struggling, the pain and the loss of those they love, Lord God, you are a God of comfort. You comfort the downcast, the, the, the hurting and the lonely. And Father God, we lift up those who are hurting to you and we cry out and we ask that you would touch hearts where they need to be touched. You would remind them of the hope of the resurrection. You would remind them that one day they'll be with their loved ones again. You'll remind them that their loved ones are in a better place in your presence. We love you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining today. Have a good one.